Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, January 21st, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to beantownathletics.com right now or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them I sent you. Now, people ask me all the time, what else can I get done at Beantown Athletics? What else can I get made? Is it just for unions? No, it's not just for unions. They're the only union screen printer, but you don't need to be a union to get something created here at Beantown. Now, some ideas for you, whether you're running a tournament. I know there's a lot of wiffle ball tournaments in the summertime in this area, whether it's a flag football tournament, street hockey tournament, maybe you have something indoors. You got an indoor flag football tournament? I don't know what it could be. Any type of tournament, they can create the t-shirt for you. They can make up a design, put it on the t-shirt, print them out, different colors, long sleeves, short sleeves, sweatshirts, hats, you name it. They can do it for you. For instance, a buddy of mine ran a video game tournament, the Sweeney Cup. He wanted a, a pretty cool design on it, something to look like sort of the Quebec Nordiques and a combination of that with the Xbox controller. They created it for you here at Beantown. They created it for him, and they made the Sweeney Cup tournament t-shirts. Literally got to pick what type of t-shirt he wanted, what brand, what style, how it feels. It's the most comfortable t-shirt I own. So, Sweeney Cup, good choice on the t-shirt there. And also, I tell people, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties. You want a koozie, you want a hat, you want a t-shirt made up for the trip. You guys going away, get them made right here and created at Beantown Athletics. Go to beantownathletics.com or give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Today, I was joined by Bill Spiros, columnist. You can read him on the Bleacher Report He's on Twitter, at RealOBF, also known as the Obnoxious Boston Fan. He joined me over the phone this morning. I talked to him about really just some football stuff and the Patriots things that are going on in the AFC Championship game that we have here on Sunday, Patriots-Broncos in Denver. It's the first of the two conference championship games. It's 3 o'clock here Eastern Time, 1 o'clock Mountain Time. So when they wake up in Denver and they go play that game on Sunday, Kickoff in Denver will be 1 o'clock their time. I talked with Bill about this, and uh, I'll play that conversation for you in just a few minutes. But first and foremost, sort of leading you into that conversation, I have to give you my reaction to some of the stories that are out there today, which were some of the stories that I talked with Bill about, uh, and I'll play that for you in just a few minutes. But last night, a couple things going on that are Patriots-related. One that's really big picture, I think, still NFL-related because it has to do with the officials, but also it has to do with what the NFL and the national media have made to be the biggest story in not just football, but sports in the last calendar year. And what is that? It's Deflategate. Look, I don't want to sit here and talk about Deflategate. I don't. I'd rather not do it. 
I'd rather look at the conference championship weekend, even though yesterday I gave my entire preview to both games, went in-depth on both Patriots-Broncos and Cardinals-Panthers. So go to yesterday, Wednesday's podcast to get that. I broadcast five days a week. You can get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also subscribe on iTunes, or if you don't have an iPhone, iPad, I recommend the Stitcher app. That seems to be the best app that works. You can get it on your phone. It is free, and you can subscribe to the show and listen whenever you want. But I broadcast five days a week, and every Wednesday, I give my preview to the upcoming week in the NFL. And yesterday's podcast was no different, as I previewed the AFC and NFC championship games. So make sure you go check that out. But I'd rather talk actual football. I'd rather talk even, I'd rather even get into some NBA, NHL stuff today, which I will before I close it out. You know, there are some interesting NBA, NHL storylines. NHL storyline is there could be a big trade brewing. I'll tell you about that. And in the NBA, I, I, we talk about this hack-a-shack rule. You know, now it's hack-a-howard or hack-a-drummond. We had a situation like that last night, but this might have been the most embarrassing situation for the league with regards to this situation that I've ever seen. I'll talk about that before I close it out. And, of course, the Celtics played last night. They lost in Toronto. I'll give my reaction to that later on after I, after I play you the Bill Spiros conversation. But first and foremost, I guess i got to begin with the Deflategate storyline. And, again, I don't want to talk about Deflategate, but we have to, and at least... This story that came out last night, and you know what? Credit where credit's due. It actually came out a couple days ago, originally reported by Scott Zolak on 98.5 The Sports Hub. And you hear the story, and when you first hear it, you think to yourself, all right, this is no surprise. At least you think that if you're in my shoes. Now, what is the story? Well, the story last night, which was, I guess, confirmed by Massachusetts State Police, who let out a statement. Um, or as I should say, we heard from the Massachusetts State Police spokesman, who yesterday went in some detail and I guess confirmed Scott Zolak's report that NFL officials who will work in Saturday's playoff game, divisional round game between the Chiefs and the Patriots at Gillette Stadium. These NFL officials, they left the kicking footballs and the air pressure gauges back at the hotel. They didn't take this stuff to the game with them. And in fact, what we're finding out in detail is, and this according to the Massachusetts State Police spokesman, he said yesterday, quote, at approximately 2.30, in the afternoon. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, the Patriots game was at 4.30. Kickoff was at 4.30. And according to the Massachusetts State Police spokesman yesterday, he said that the footballs didn't arrive to Gillette Stadium until 3.30 because, and I quote from the Massachusetts State Police spokesman, at approximately 2.30 on Saturday, state police at Logan Airport were notified by the Hyatt Hotel on airport property that the officials at Gillette Stadium for that afternoon's Patriots playoff game had left official, specifically designated footballs and pressure gauges behind at the hotel. He continues, the hotel had been contacted by the NFL after it realized the equipment had been left behind. 
State police contacted an NFL security official at Gillette Stadium. NFL security requested that state police assistance in bringing the footballs and gauges to the stadium. The footballs in question are referred to as K-balls, short for kicking balls. They are the official footballs provided by the league for use in kicking plays. The spokesman continued, a hotel employee retrieved the equipment State Police Detective Lieutenant Thomas Coffey, who was on duty at Troop F that afternoon, along with the hotel employee, drove the K-balls and gauges to Gillette Stadium, arriving at approximately 3.30, and turned them over to the NFL. Now again, this is confirmation of a report by Scott Zolak earlier in the week. And um, if you feel the way I feel about Deflategate, and how the officials in the Wells report, it basically made them look as if they never cared about PSI in a football, and they obviously didn't care about their air pressure gauges, which one worked, which didn't. They didn't care about pumping the footballs up to the exact pressure that the rule book states, which is between 12 and a half and 13 and a half, given the part of the Wells report that said when they tested the footballs the day after the Jets game, they were 16 PSI, and Tom Brady was so upset with it that he sent the rule book into the officials the next game. You know, all those things showed me, and even going into Walt Anderson before the AFC Championship, all those things showed me that the officials, they were the biggest issue in Deflategate. When you have a situation in which the officials don't care about the footballs as a commissioner, I would think that you would have to sit back and say, you know what? We need, if we care about this rule, we need to make sure our officiating crews and our refs are getting this right. And obviously, by the Wells report, reading this, they're not. They're not getting it right. And it seems like they don't care. So we need to change that. And until we change that, we can't necessarily start blaming players for air pressure in football. Again, it's the air pressure in a football. But this story that comes out, that before the divisional game against the Chiefs, the NFL officials go to the stadium and they leave the K-balls and the air pressure gauges behind is mind-boggling. Especially since we just get a report that says the NFL is going to release the results of some of the random PSI tests that they've done to football this year. I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. They leave the footballs behind. They leave them behind at the hotel. I mean, I can believe it, but it's still, uh, you know, if you're an NFL official and all this shit is going on and you're at Gillette Stadium, how can you forget those footballs? And more importantly, they're, they're the kicking balls. How can you forget the PSI gauges when all this stuff is still going on? I mean, it's, it's such an embarrassment, but it goes back to show that that is always been the biggest issue it always has been the officials and their carelessness and how they just you know they can't get it right and you can't convince me that they get it right when they leave the footballs back at the hotel along with the air pressure gauges so I I read this story and as mind-boggling as it might be as to how you leave this stuff behind at the same time I sit there and nod my head and go it's about right I mean It's consistent with what I believe and what we know to be true, which is that these officials, when it comes to the footballs and the air pressure in the footballs, it's just, it's never been a major deal to them. 
It never has been. And you heard that when this report first came out, there were anonymous locker room attendants around the league that were telling reporters, look, I've been in the room when, when these officials have pumped up the football and they sort of, you know, they don't really check it. I mean, they say, is there enough air in this one? All right, good. There's enough air in this one? All right, good. Eh, this one seems a little flat. Fill that up a little bit. I mean, it just, it, 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 it never, this story from the get-go never made any sense. And when you read the Wells report, it, it specifically, to me, points at the fact that these officials are so clueless and careless about the air pressure in a football that any investigation needs to stop right then and there. Needs to stop right then and there. Because when your officials can't get it right, you can't stop punishing players for anything. Now, we know that's not what the NFL did. They kept going right along with this to the point where uh, they're going to fight this battle. They're going to appeal the uh, the result of Brady's appeal when it went to a courtroom in New York this past summer and Judge Richard Berman took the four games and wiped it out, right? So the NFL is going to keep this story going. Are they going to release the numbers? I don't know. Here's the deal. This story coming out days after they announced that they may release some PSI numbers makes the league look even worse and will be the reason that more and more people don't take those numbers seriously when you got a playoff game at Gillette Stadium uh, literally a full calendar year after we talked about the flight gate and even the K-balls. You could say, well, they're just the kicking balls. I'll counter that with, all right, what were the original reports before the Wells report came out? Kelly Naki, ESPN, outside the lines. This is when Jim McNally was originally portrayed as some type of monster. Like, he was this criminal. Like, the way they did that outside the lines report, you would have thought that not only was Jim McNally given, you know, sneaking footballs into the AFC championship, but he was later found parked outside of a schoolyard with binoculars. I mean, that, that's how they portrayed the guy, to be some creep some guy that needs to be locked up that, that we should all, when we see him on the street, just give him a beating. I mean, no, this, what was he doing? They portrayed him like that, but it was, it was not an accurate portrayal. I mean, come on. Like, the Kelly Naki report said, and I'll read you the headline because it's still on ESPN.com. The headline of February 20th, Patriots locker room attendant tried to put unapproved ball into AFC final. (laughs) I mean, it's still there. And here's the first paragraph. Quote, a locker room attendant for the New England Patriots tried to introduce an unapproved special teams football into last month's AFC championship game, the same game at the center of the Deflategate allegations. Four sources, four sources familiar with the investigation told Outside the Lines. It continues, one source said that the attendant assigned to the official's locker room identified as 48-year-old Jim McNally has been interviewed by investigators for Ted Wells, the attorney the NFL hired last month to lead an investigation into the allegations the Patriots intentionally used underinflated footballs on offensive plays in the first half of that game. All right, man, talk about a run-on fucking sentence. Who's editing this thing? Forget about facts and journalism. Just reading a story. That's, that's just a run-on sentence. Uh, 
And, and we'll get into journalism a little bit later with Bill Spiros, of course, because of the Darius Fleming story from yesterday. And I'll, I'll touch upon that real quick before I actually play that conversation for you. But again, we're dipping back into Deflategate now. And, and bef- when I do that, before I get to the Wells report, you get to this Kelly Naki report about the K-balls. But what you find out in the Wells report is that, in fact, this Kelly Naki report couldn't be more false and inaccurate. Jim, the headline still reads, Patriots locker room attendant tried to put unapproved ball into the AFC final. They're talking about the K, one of the K-balls or the kicking balls. As it turns out from the Wells report, that ball that McNally tried to give an official was handed to him by another NFL official. And in fact, some of the balls were left because the balls were left inside on the couch, right? Whatever the actual story was, the Kelly Naki story was not true. It had to do with the K-balls and some K-balls, I think, being left behind by Walt Anderson, right? And, and now, a year later, the, the NFL still trying to get the Patriots. A story comes out yesterday that at least was confirmed by Massachusetts State Police that they had to bring the K-balls to Gillette Stadium an hour before kickoff because the NFL officials left them along with the air pressure gauges, left them back at the hotel before the game. Like, I, I, it's mind-boggling that they could forget that stuff given everything that's transpired over the last year and the fact that this game is also at Gillette Stadium in the playoffs. But when I read it, I nod my head and go, it sounds about right. That's about right. This is consistent with everything that we know to be true with the NFL officials and how much they actually care about air pressure in the football. I I mean, I I don't want to keep going back to this, but they make us. And actually, this is a story that I almost enjoy. I enjoyed reading this one because it it defends my beliefs from the get-go. This is an official's issue. Deflategate has always been about the fucking officials, and that's where it should have ended. It hasn't ended. But the official stuff, their, you know, uh, the, the fact that their carelessness with the footballs and the PSI gauges, that, that stuff continues to this day. And I don't think it's going to stop. <laughs> but uh, that's where we're at. They played the game. The balls got to Gillette. They played with them. Patriots won. The air pressure on the football had nothing to do with the result of that game, much like the air pressure on the football has had nothing to do with the result of any game Tom Brady and the Patriots have ever played. And we move on to the AFC Championship. Uh, Not without a little more drama, though, inside the Patriots locker room, because I gave you a story on yesterday's podcast to close it out about Darius Fleming, all right? And Darius Fleming is a New England Patriots linebacker. And yesterday he told a story to reporters about how he played in the divisional game against Kansas City with 22 stitches in his leg. 22 stitches in his leg. And he told the story in depth with detail about how he pulled over to the side of the road two days before that divisional game So on Thursday, the game was on Saturday, he pulled over on Thursday, a car accident. He kicked a window, he broke a window with his foot, he kicked in a car window, because the car was on fire, it was a burning car, and there was a woman stuck inside, and Darius Fleming stopped, didn't have to, Darius Fleming plays for the Patriots, he's getting ready for a playoff game, he sees a car accident, 
he's a pro athlete. This guy does not have to pull over, okay? He pulled over. He sees a woman in a burning car. He kicks the window open, and he saves her. Saves her life. This is a story in which we should be considering Darius Fleming, not a football player, but a hero, all right? This is a real-life story. He told the story in detail, and he played in the game, 22 stitches in his leg. He played. Amazing story. Headline, you know, for this story, it should simply read, Darius Fleming saves woman's life by kicking a window open to save her from a burning car. That's what it should read. That's what the headline should read. Instead, last night, I go to ESPN.com, and the top headlines read as follows. Top headline. You know, they, they get their main story, like a picture, a feature story at the top, and then they give you the top headlines. The, the, the first headline under top headlines reads as follows. Walpole Cops. Crash matches Patriots account. <laughs> um, so, now I had, to, I had to go back on Twitter after and get caught up on the whole TMZ, Ben Volan, Boston Globe thing. Like, because I wasn't paying attention to that. I don't even think I follow Ben Volan on the on Twitter. I'm pretty sure I don't follow TMZ on Twitter. I don't follow either of them. So, I, I missed that part. And even in the late afternoon, I wasn't on Twitter for a couple hours, so you can miss some things if you're not on Twitter for a couple hours. Um, so, I had to get caught up. But I'm looking at this going, wait a minute. Was was this story... So, so basically, ESPN.com, the way they have this headline... They imply that this story at some point in time this afternoon was in doubt. And I was really confused by it. And I was pissed off. Because you heard the story. I, I read it to you. Uh, the reporters dished it out yesterday. And I read it to you on this podcast yesterday. And uh, I go home. And I, I go on Twitter last night. I read this is the top headline. It doesn't. And I was confused as to why it didn't say Darius Fleming saves woman's life. Like I was confused by that. So I'm thinking to myself, this story must have been in doubt. And then you do a little research. It turns out yeah, people forgot about the Good Samaritan law, right? Um, apparently, TMZ tried to contact the, the cops. And they, contact a couple, they contacted a couple police departments. And, and there was no record, I guess, of... According to them, there was no record of this situation. And then... I guess Ben Volan, who I think Ben Volan got the original story anyways, right? Or at least that's what he was saying. And then other reporters, you know, came in and decided to get it from him once he tweeted it out. But that's, again, I don't know that to be true. I was not in the locker room. I'm just trying to go off of what what those guys were saying. And uh, But the bottom line is this, that's not important for right now. What's important is that TMZ said they, they tried to reach out to the police and nope, they couldn't get anybody to confirm that this story was true. Not, I don't know. I mean, why are we trying to confirm that the story's true? He went into detail. Didn't other people acknowledge in the locker room that it was true? So the first reaction we have is, well, there's got to be some stretching of the truth there. Let's do some digging. Like, I don't understand that part of it. But when they did some digging, I guess they couldn't find anybody from a couple of police departments to comment on it or confirm it. So then Ben Volan tweeted out much of the same saying, yeah, you know what? I've reached out to the police departments as well, and um, I'm getting the same thing as TMZ. Like, nobody's confirming this story. And, of course, 
it turns into a shitstorm, and it turns into this headline on ESPN.com. Instead of Darius Fleming saves woman's life, it's Walpole Cops. Uh, they confirm that the crash matches the Patriots players' account. I mean, it's, it's crazy that that needs to be the headline. And uh, I talked about this with, with Bill Spiros, and I'll play that for you right now. But, you know, Ben Volan had, he tweeted something out, which had a link to an extension of a long story that he wrote. And, you know, I, I, I acknowledge this with Bill Spiros. I tip my cap to him. That, that was a, a well-put-together piece describing his side of the story yesterday. But, I mean, you can say all you want. And I under, it makes sense what he said. You know, he tried to reach out to the cops because he wanted to get in touch with the, peop, the woman who was saved. And, and when he tried to reach out to the cops, well, he couldn't get anybody to confirm that that story actually happened. And then he tweeted that he's hearing the same thing as TMZ. And it began this shitstorm. I still believe that he's somewhat full of shit, and so is TMZ. If you're updating us on that, there is part of you that does not want to believe Darius Fleming. Like, there is part of you that wants, that wants something else to have happened, that wants the Darius Fleming account to be false. There was. I don't care what he says. I don't care what TMZ says. It's my opinion, but... I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. I mean, you're going after this, and if you're still going after it in that way, like it's one thing if you can't get the police to confirm it and you still want to, you know, find the woman in the crash, I don't think you need to start tweeting out and and basically acknowledging that there is some doubt there because that's what there was. But there's doubt, in my opinion, only if you want there to be doubt. There is. Only if you fucking want to doubt this. And I believe they wanted to doubt it. I believe they wanted, there was some part of them deep down inside that wanted some other story here. That wanted to catch Fleming in some type of crazy lie. That wanted to have some type of drama. And they wanted to be the one to get the story. Honestly, I think that's what they wanted. I just, I feel that way. And you're never going to convince me that they didn't want that. Somewhere deep down inside, those parties that would search in, that would dig in, that would tweet in about how nobody would answer them and, and the police wouldn't talk about it and they couldn't confirm this story with the cops. There was a part of, those people still searching for that. There was a part of them that wanted the Fleming story to be false and wanted it to be a lie. And I think that's bullshit. So... I, I just can't understand why if you get a story like that, it's a feel-good story. You get other players talking to you saying it happened. What do you think is going on? I mean, you, you think, do we think that players are running around just making up stories? Saving Fleming's ass? Because what really happened was something completely different. He didn't save anyone's life. I mean, we just can't believe a story anymore these days. Um... And to be honest with you, I feel like this stuff would only happen with the New England Patriots. That type of doubt. The fact that you have a headline on ESPN.com, which is a top headline that says, Walpole police confirm Darius Fleming's account of his own story in which he saves woman's life. Instead of Darius Fleming is a hero, saves a woman's life, plays in playoff game two days later. That should be the headline. Because it's not, it leads me to believe that there's a whole lot of people out there that 
or at least the people that are still trying to search and dig for something at one point yesterday, which I, when I thought the story was just over, I thought the story was just that. Darius Fleming told reporters he saved a woman's life, and his, I mean, that's it. All right, you want to talk to the woman who he saved? All right, if you can't get in touch with her? If you can't get in touch with her, what? That means it didn't happen? I mean, come on. If you start going to the other angle then, that leads me to believe that deep down inside, somewhere, you believe the story's false. Or at least you wanted to believe the story was false. You did. They did. They wanted to believe it was false. They wanted to think it was a lie. I'm, I, I'm convinced of that. But I talk with Bill Spiros about that and some other things. Peyton Manning, Deflategate, HGH, you name it. AFC Championship, NFC Championship. We talked about it all. And uh, you can hear that conversation right now. I'll play it for you. Stick around afterwards because I do have some thoughts on a couple NBA and NHL stories that you will not want to miss. Enjoy, and again, stick around afterwards. All right, joining me over the phone right now is the one and only Bill Spiros, also known as the Obnoxious Boston Fan. You can follow him on Twitter, at RealOBF, and you can find him on the Bleacher Report. Bill, thanks for joining me today. How you doing? I'm doing great. I just uh, got back from Boston. And I think I brought the cold weather to Florida, which means it's like 50. <laughs> you can't complain then because it's like 20 degrees out today. Here well, in yeah, I was up there on, uh, you know, Monday and Tuesday with that, uh, you know, minus 400 wind show walking around South Boston. And uh, I definitely caught, I caught the brunt of it. So uh, it's good to be back here and uh, warm climbs. Well, back here we have the freezing cold weather. And it has that, it has that, not just the playoff football feel, but Bill, I don't mean to try and jinx it, but it has that Super Bowl feel. Like, I just have that feeling. And I know we got the AFC Championship on Sunday against the Denver Broncos, but I'm sitting here in the studio at Beantown Athletics, and you know, we rebranded this show, and, and we began recording from this specific studio exactly a year ago. And exactly a year ago, not only were we talking about the Patriots going to the Super Bowl, but we were also talking about Deflategate. And we can't escape it because now as the Patriots enter the AFC Championship, we got to go back to the divisional round win over Kansas City and something that happened with the footballs. I mean, this really is beautiful. This is a perfect story because now we're hearing that the NFL is possibly going to release the numbers to, to test in the PSIs and footballs this year, at least the random testing that they did. And this story comes out yesterday, though I, I believe Scott Zolak had, had mentioned it a couple days earlier, but now we're hearing from the actual Massachusetts State Police in which the NFL officials for Saturday's game against the Chiefs, they left the kicking balls and the PSI gauges behind at the hotel and needed the State Police to bring them to Gillette Stadium. Uh, I mean, you can believe, I would say you can't believe it, but we actually can believe this because this goes back to Deflategate and it shows how much the officials just don't care and didn't care about the PSIs or didn't care about the footballs at all. Well, they, yeah, I mean, they never have. It's, I, I don't know. Uh, can I swear on this thing? Sure, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, it, it's a fucking joke. <laughs> um, you know, it's been a fucking joke. Um, and, you know, obviously I, I wish the man well, and I know he's dealing with cancer right now, and Godspeed, Chris Mortensen. But it was a year ago today that ESPN reported that 11 or 12 balls were significantly deflated. And that story is still uncorrected on its website 365 days later. And I think if you, you look at that, you look at the fact that, you know, 
I mean, however you want to play Deflategate, if you want to look at the evidence and argue the evidence and the facts, if you want to argue conspiracy, if you want to argue intent, if you want to argue due process, if you want to argue agenda, no matter how you argue it, the bottom line is that the Patriots got screwed. They got screwed in terms of the coverage and the facts. They got screwed in terms of NFL's, their own NFL's own due process. They got screwed in terms of, of, of what was done literally to the balls in terms of measuring them, in terms of the gauges, in terms of um, the actual physical evidence, lack thereof. And they got screwed in the sense that this was a non-issue. It's always been a non-issue. It's always been a non-factor until it involved the Patriots and it became the biggest fucking deal ever. Mm. And obviously, a year later, not only do we have false information that remains reported, we have the inability of the NFL's officials um, dealing with a, a game played at the same stadium 51 weeks later to bring the balls and to bring the measuring gauges. So, you know, anyone with with a shred of, of objectivity can see that the whole this whole thing has been a joke. And then you have, you know, people, fans, uh, with an emotional connection to the team who are used to seeing the team um, being sort of the bad guys and compounded with, with this malfeasance in every form. It's... Uh, you know, it is. It's pretty much incomprehensible, but it's comprehensible, um, and it's more damning evidence that the 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 incompetence and corruption, as far as this issue goes, has been evidence since day one. And now, who who is going to believe the PSI readings that the NFL is going to report, and why? You know, why are they reporting them between the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's a joke. Um, with the Patriots, you know, have a good shot of playing in the Super Bowl. So I, I, I'm not going to believe the readings uh, regardless. I, I'd be shocked if these readings come out and in any way portray what happened with the Patriots last year in a positive light toward the Patriots. I, I would just be stunned if the NFL came out and said, well, you know, we spent a year investigating this, and guess what? In cold-weather games, the ball's deflated on their own. Yeah. I, I just don't see the NFL putting out that information if I'm wrong. I'll, I'll be I'll be happy to admit it, but I don't you know. And, and the NFL has you know they're uh, you know they're having the appeal heard. Now this new evidence cannot be introduced in the appellate process. And I ask my 25 year as an attorney wife Suffolk law graduate that question. So this new evidence cannot be introduced in the appeal stage. However, if the case is sent back and retried it in front of Judge Berman or someone else, then they can introduce other evidence that may or may not be relevant. It would be up to the court to see if this new evidence is relevant. But I have the sneaky suspicion that this whole charade and these numbers most likely manufactured literally and figuratively out of thin air are just going to be used to try to further damn what the Patriots have accomplished. Yeah, I mean, look, right now we're talking about court of public opinion, and I know some people might say, well, what does it matter? Those footballs ended up getting to Gillette Stadium by 3.30, and, and the game didn't start till 4. They got the footballs, they got the K-balls, they got the PSI gauges. But my, to me, that's not the point. The point is, this is a perfect example of what I've been arguing since the first time we even began talking about Deflategate, which was, if I'm Roger Goodell, and this, you know, I, I read the Wells report, the first thing I have to see, the first red flag is, our officials did not care about the PSIs in the football. Our officials basically didn't know what PSI gauges worked and what ones didn't. They just, 
when, when the officials don't know the rules or don't care about the rules and don't follow the rules that you're blaming the players for not following, then this isn't about the players anymore. This is about your officiating crews. And you can go back to even before the Wells report came out, we had that whole Kelly Naki report and outside the lines where they, you know, they put Jim McNally's picture on the sideline and they would, you know, uh, put highlight his face as he's talking to Brady or standing next to Brady. And this report was that he snuck K-balls into the game, in, in, into that AFC championship. And as it turns out in the Wells report, he didn't. That Kelly Naki report was completely wrong. In fact, the NFL officials m- messed that thing up. So this... What, what, what have happened to her? I think we're going to need SEAL Team 6 to find her. Yeah, I, mean, I don't... Is, she's completely disappeared. I, I don't, you know... Is she up in the International Space <laughs> Station or... I don't know. I tweeted you know, out... Hiding I, with Jimmy Hoffa's ghost? <laughs> I tweeted out last night, Bill. You know, uh, they're, they're trying... On Outside the Lines, they're going to do a report today. They're going to try to figure out where Jim McNally was at the time that these footballs were left at the hotel. That's the question that they're going to ask because that goes, you know, I was being sarcastic, but I mean, seriously, going back to last year, really the whole Deflategate stuff with McNally started with that Kelly Naki report and how he was portrayed in that, and that turned out to be wrong. So the court of public opinion, this is a bad look for the NFL, especially where now they're in a situation where they're telling us they might release the numbers for the PSI levels, and you said you can't take them seriously, and and neither can I, mainly because they did it randomly. Look, Bill, if they wanted to try and get this right and come out with a legit report, what they would have done is record the PSI of every football, of every single game, pre-game, halftime, post-game, and document it that way. And they didn't even want to do that. So how can we believe random testing where if it's random, they could say, all right, here's five games. Well, how do we know that they didn't do eight games and they're holding three games back? We don't know well, that. I've been, as I've been uh, on, on a Twitter jihad about this for the last 10 weeks, who's testing the balls that Cam Newton's giving away after every touchdown? In That's Carolina. True. Yeah. I mean, how how are those balls being treated? Are are they being tested? I tend to doubt it because they're given to little kids who take off with them. Yeah, I no, I mean that's a great point. I did not think of that, but perhaps they're going to say, "Well, we didn't do those games." But then again, you go back to well, well, well then you, why didn't they? The Panthers were fourteen and zero. Yeah, you should year. do exactly. If, that, if, if memory serves, they were fourteen and zero. Why wouldn't you look in if if this is such an important issue? If this is such if give. If PSI and deflated balls are over, if that's such a competitive advantage, if that's so integral to the integrity of the game, why in the fuck were you not testing the team that was 12-0, and 13-0, 14-0, that was giving away fucking balls to children after a touchdown, which I think is an awesome thing to do. Mm-hmm. But why weren't you, why weren't you saying, look, um, okay, we're going to, you know, we need to hold on to these balls, kid. We'll give it to you after the game, but we'll test them. And as far as the testing goes, you, you know, I, I hope there's universal gauges. I hope they bought 10,000 gauges from the same manufacturer who were some, you know, some way certified by whoever certifies air pressure gauges. Were they all tested under the same conditions inside? Were they all brought in at the same times? Were they all brought out at the same times? Was everything logged? Was everything videotaped? Or is it just a half-assed operation like we saw last week when they uh-huh. forgot the balls? And the, and the PSI gauges. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, just the balls. The they forgot the gauges. I mean, this is just – and you say, you know, if, the, if this was about the footballs and if they cared, here's the deal. What we're finding out is, and as we, you know, me and you pretty much knew and a lot of other people here in New England knew a year ago, is that the NFL didn't care about the footballs. They didn't care about the PSI. They cared about getting the Patriots. And that's where we now get into this game, the AFC Championship against Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. 
and you had this Al Jazeera report not too long ago that seems to not even be any type of storyline heading into this game, and Bill, here's the deal. I am not asking for anybody to sit here and crucify Peyton Manning because he did or didn't take HGH. If it turns out he did, I'll be honest, Bill, I don't care. I live. In, I think we live in a sports world in which pro athletes use PEDs or they use something to try and get back on the field or the ice quicker, on the court quicker. They do some things to get a competitive advantage. This is what happens. Um, I'm not going to, if Peyton Manning, it turns out he took HGH, I'm not going to crush him for it. But the bottom line is this. It is a story. I I mean, the fact that they have made this a non-story is mind-boggling to me where they turned air pressure in a football into the biggest issue that we've ever seen in professional sports. Explain this to me, Bill, how people are still ignoring this Peyton Manning HGH story. Well, technically, you know, according to the NFL, he's being, you know, this is being investigated by the league. So that... They're just the fact that, at least from what the NFL tells us through the state-run media, sycophantic corporate hacks like Peter King, um, this is being investigated by the league. So just that fact in and of itself makes it a news story. Why hasn't CBS mentioned it? Well, we all have our theories. I mean, you know, the, there's the point about Jim Nance and Peyton Manning having the same agent. I mean, that's part of it. But I think it's a broader issue. Uh, I mean, think about this. You know, let's do the let's follow the money because that's what it all comes down to. Peyton Manning gets paid lots of money to do ads for Nationwide and, and Papa John's Pizza. Papa John's Pizza and Nationwide pay CBS a lot, a lot of money, a real lot of money to sponsor their NFL telecasts. And CBS pays the NFL like billions of dollars for the rights to telecast those games. So I don't think that with that much money on, on at stake, and you're talking 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 billion dollars that these companies spend, um, advertising with, with literally millions and hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, I don't think that CBS is going to allow its people to bring up the fact that the guy you just saw do the nationwide commercial mm-hmm. and the guy you just saw do the Papa John's commercial is being investigated for possibly using HGH before and or after it was tested. And, and you know, this, this storyline, I mean, what did Jim Nance say the other day? Um, during that Pittsburgh game, oh, Peyton hasn't looked this good in two years. Well, duh, no fucking shit, because he's taking shit the fucking Chinese athletes probably wouldn't take. So, so yeah, that that's a legitimate story. Why is why aren't they talking about it? I think there's a personal relationship that they have. They share the same agent. I think there's a huge financial relationship. You know, and 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 look at Tom Brady. Does Tom Brady do any ads that are, are regular sponsors? I mean, he doesn't do. You know, pizza ads, he comes out and rips Coke and Frosted Flakes. Um, and I'm sure he would have criticized Pepsi, which is an NFL sponsor, if they had asked him about it, and McDonald's, which is an NFL sponsor. So Brady doesn't play the corporate game. He's not a corporate guy. The one Under Armour ad that they did with him with uh, all the guys warming up, which is totally awesome, That that's aired during some games. But that's not a national, um, you know, sponsor buy. Mm. That's probably just the spot appearance that they bought now and then so brady doesn't play the corporate game you know he does his ads but they're different you know uggs movado stuff that nobody ever uses but he likes to advertise it so he you know he he doesn't have that financial interest that financial link that Peyton manning literally has with advertisers that are paying the networks to, to air the game so i think that's a significant part of it uh you know i'm sorry you know, they, they, they say, oh, well, Charlie Slide re- recanted his statement. 
and Charlie Sly's a liar. So was he lying mm. when he was on the, the videotape with the hidden camera, or was he lying when he recanted his statement? Or did he only lie once? Well, once a liar, always a liar. Or he's telling the truth. You know, they, they want to have it both ways. They want to say, oh, Charlie Sly recanted the story. Well, Peyton Manning and his agent admitted that the HGH was sent to the house. How would Charlie Sly know that if he was just making up shit out of thin air? I mean, there's, there's a lot of logic, a lot of common sense that a lot of people are looking past because they choose not to believe this. And, and, and my point is very similar to yours. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care what the guy does, frankly. Um, you know, you're right. Everybody's doing everything. I mean, we've seen that in baseball for the last 15 years. But w what is telling is how the story has been treated and how the same people that were so quick to raise suspicions and condemn Brady are equally reactive in the other direction toward Peyton Manning. I mean, it's an obvious inherent bias. And I'm sick and fucking tired of fucking corporate state-run media hacks and these fucking contrarian assholes and, and all these people saying, oh, you're a homer, this a homer, that a homer. Fuck that. You know, you know who the fucking worst homer is? The fucking guy at, at 50, uh, West 52nd Street in fucking New York who keeps his mouth shut because his company's making millions of dollars off this fucking guy. That's the biggest fucking homer there is, You know, is the guy, the guy who's on the take, who's getting the cash. You know, I, I look at the Patriots. I tweet about them. I write about them. I look at what I see. Is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback ever? Fuck yeah. And the reason why is because he's been the greatest quarterback. He has the numbers to prove it. He has the stats. He has the rings. He has everything else. Um, you know, th th that's why a lot of folks think that, you know, Tom Brady is the best because he is the best. But if Tom Brady, if, if there was HGH shipped to Tom Brady's house or if Giselle was using HGH. Oh, forget about it. It would be like a nuclear bomb forget going on 24-7. Yeah. I, we, I mean, they were in the picture of her getting her boob job. As if she was a Muslim terrorist with the burqa over her face. And they made a big deal out of that. So, I mean, let's be serious and let's be honest with ourselves and cut the homer crap because your head is so far up Peyton Manning's ass that, you know, he has to sneeze just for you to get a look at the sky. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, uh, look, if Peyton Manning took HGH, again, I don't care, Bill. I'm not putting an asterisk next to his name. I'm just not going to do it. But, but the fact that when this story came out, I have to sit there and watch the same analysts that, that said, well, I don't believe Tom Brady, they came out and said, well, I believe Peyton Manning because he said he didn't do it, so he didn't do it. And they also went into, well, I mean, Peyton Manning, look, he's got a family. This is about his family. Well, I mean, Tom Brady has a family, too. Like, what the fuck are you talking he's about? Got, Tom Brady's got, got a family. And, and, you know, the same people who didn't read the entire Wells report are the same people who didn't watch the entire, what was it, an hour-long feature on yeah, Al Jazeera, it was 52 minutes. 52 Al minutes. Feature, and I tell you what, stunning. the Peyton Manning stuff's at the end. I, I recommend, if you think that you know everything about Charlie Sly, or you think that, you know, well, maybe he was bullshitting, or maybe he did lie, if you watch the whole thing, it's pretty evident to me. Because at first, when I first came out with a couple opinions on this, and said, why isn't this a story? I'm not going to lie, Bill. The first couple days, I only watched the, the last five minutes. I only watched the Peyton Manning stuff that came out. When I went back a week later and watched the entire video, I said to myself, holy shit, this kid Charlie Sly was telling the truth. They did a pretty nice job, Al Jazeera, getting that British hurdler to convince him that he was actually going to the Olympics and trying to get some, some stuff off this guy. Like, this was... Charlie Sly said a lot of things about pro a lot of different professional athletes and about different drugs like Delta 2. He went in-depth. You know, he talks about all these guys. 
and and that's not even the craziest part because again, I go back, I I see Charlie Sly, and I say to myself, this kid knows what he's talking about. Like this this guy was not bullshitting. He was not making this stuff up. He was telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth for those parts, why isn't he telling the truth about the Peyton Manning stuff? But that's not even the biggest part of the story. When you see that about Charlie Sly. And then you see, I believe it was the New York Times about a week or two weeks later, came out with a story linking Charlie Sly to some trainer yep. in Florida who yep. was also linked to all the same pro athletes that Charlie Sly was linked to. You know, the Green Bay Packers and, um, you know, uh, who, who am I thinking of here? Ryan Howard, right? Uh, yeah, NFL Gardner was actually on camera, like, using the stuff or buying it right? or whatever. No, well, well this Florida-based trainer, he opened – this nutrition place called Elements Nutrition with Charlie Sly. They were co-founders of this place. This report came out. The New York Times does this story, right? And at the end, the bottom, they said, well, the NFL and Major League Baseball, if they're going to look into this stuff, they might want to do it soon. Because as of this week, Elements Nutrition dissolved, completely dissolved, and closed its doors. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit. Like, why would you close your doors and just dissolve the company? Like, why would you do that? If you have nothing to hide, then stay open. Say, invite them in. Invite the New York Times in. Invite Al Jazeera in. Invite ESPN in. Say, what are we doing? We're working out with these guys. Ryan Howard's doing squats. Zimmerman's over here doing bench press. Um, you know, the Green Bay Packers are here just working out. What's the big deal? We have nothing to hide. Why would you close your doors? To me, that was the shadiest part about this whole story. Yeah, and, and you know, the fact that there's, you know, that one fellow at the Times and a few others. I mean, a lot of, I mean, the traditional NFL state-run media types do not want to pursue this story because they've either been told not to do it or they don't want to do it because they don't want to disrupt the apple cart. You know, you know what, what, what the, the Flategate story and the Manning story have exposed, they haven't exposed that Tom Brady loves a competitive edge and probably, you know, would do whatever he could to win, or that Peyton Manning needed to take HGH to recover from this horrible neck injury. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that, that's all a given. What it exposed is the agenda and the uh, rules that places like ESPN, CBS, and others operate under. I mean, you're not getting, um, you know, uh, an organ news or media organizations that are willing to to deal with just the reality of the case, and, and you've seen it. I mean, you know, I, I go back to the, the ESPN Don Van Natta story where they used the 80-plus unnamed sources, which in and of itself is questionable at best. But, you know, I would like to know how many of those 80 unnamed sources are current ESPN employees or currently working for ESPN or have gotten money to work for ESPN in the past because, you know, you, you have to wonder, again, you know, does someone have an agenda? You know, when you use unnamed sources, um, you don't know what their agenda, the reader doesn't know what their agenda is. Whenever you name a source, you know, if Robert Kraft tells you about the something about the Patriots, you as a reader know, well, he owns the team, so I have to filter this information through that prism. When you use unnamed sources, you have no fucking idea who these people are, but you also don't know what their agenda is. You also don't know if they're feeding information or... Um, or a storyline to a source, you know, what, what are they trying to push across? What, what is their other agenda? And, and to me that, you know, they would go so far as to do that and really come up with nothing that wasn't already discussed 
um, that people didn't really know about, save for the, I guess, the one thing where they destroyed the, the tapes or the DVDs or something. But still, that was seven years ago. Um, so it's like, what is the relevance to now? You know, and, and if and if there are 80, you got 80 people, 80 people, you couldn't get one or two on the record. I mean, come on. That's like shit journalism. And I know because I have a fucking Pulitzer and a half on my resume. So I fucking know what journalism is and know what it isn't. And when I see stories online that I like, I share them and I compliment people. When I see shitty fucking journalism, I fucking call it out. Because this has been my profession for 30 fucking years, and I know what I'm talking about. Speaking with Bill Spiros, also known as the obnoxious Boston fan. Follow him on Twitter at RealOBF. You can read him on the Bleacher Report. And, Bill, I'll get to the story you're working on uh, coming up soon on Milt Schmidt, Boston Bruins legend Milt Schmidt, which will be on the Bleacher Report. I'll get to that before I close it out. But stick with Patriots here. And you mentioned journalism. You know, uh, last night I tweeted out, uh, I went to ESPN.com, and, and the top headline read as follows. Walpole cops say, crash matches Patriots account. Um, what this headline should say is Patriots linebacker saves woman's life two days before the AFC divisional game plays the game with 22 stitches. Why doesn't the headline say that? Well, again, that's telling of the agenda. Um, you know, and the the fellow from the globe, you know, see when, when I point out issues with stories, I have no personal animus toward any of these reporters. I don't know any of them. I mean, I know some of them. A lot of them used to work for me. Um, but, you know, I don't have an issue. I don't have any personal issue with Ben Volan of the Globe. I, I don't know him. I, I might have met him once. I'll say this. His boss, Joe Sullivan, drove me to the Patriots game on Saturday. So uh, I'll let that stand for where I'm viewed and respected among the real journalists in this town. Um, so, you know, I don't have anything personal with Ben. I don't know him. I, I don't want him to lose his job. I, I think that's ridiculous and absurd to say that. And he admitted that he erred in the way that he handled the story, and that was great. And, you know, you make mistakes, you learn, and you move on. But, you know, why does this happen? That's, that's my issue. Why did ESPN choose to present the story in that manner um, when you know if in any other case they wouldn't present it in that manner? Because they, because they, they, because because they, believe, they have an agenda. Yeah, and they believe TMZ. And they TMZ. have a narrative that they want to continue to, to present. And they listen their to TMZ, Bill. That, that we saw in their ESPN the magazine piece, which got a ton of – you know, you don't do a piece like that in Bristol without the higher-ups signing off on it. I, I worked for ESPN for three years. I know how it operates. And and that piece didn't get done unless people at the top were really, really into it and supported it and signed off on it. So it's an obvious bias. It's an obvious agenda. And I think, you know, people that aren't journalists, that aren't editors or people like me that weren't sports editors for 25 years, can look at this stuff, and, and it's obvious and and I think the public has realized that now when it comes to not just sports journalism, but, but politics and everything else. I think the readers, I think because of there's so many voices, there's so many options, people are becoming discernible and sophisticated enough to look through that crap. And when, when you, you know, you pointed out that headline, other people, I, I shared the tweet, other people saw the same thing and, and people get it now. It's hard to bullshit them when it comes to this stuff anymore, especially when it concerns the Patriots. I think the Patriots audience, I think the Patriots fan base has become so acute, so attuned, and so sharp when it comes to discerning this that anytime anybody does anything, 
I don't even have to worry about missing it because I'll get 80, 80 freaking tweets mm. in my Twitter feed telling me, you got to read this, you got to see this, did you see this? So that these people, you know, now they just automatically have their antenna out and they're always looking for it. And it happened, and it keeps happening. That's the amazing thing about this, is that after a year of this crap, you had that headline yesterday. We had this story yesterday mm-hmm. where, you know, a reporter spoke to this guy for five minutes about this. He, he the story broke because his high school Facebook page tweeted about, uh, posted about it, and and yet it was part of a grand conspiracy. It was an X Men type tale. I mean, good God, give me a fucking break. But. You know, and, and you can't you can't play journalist half. You can't be half journalist. If you're going to be a journalist, you need to do this, and you need to do it on every story. And if you know, if you want to, if you want confirmation that something happened, you know, go online. I mean, I looked at the police log. I found the police log entry last night online. Once I found out what was going on, it took me about eight minutes. And I found the entry online. I frame grabbed it and tweeted out the entry that said 618 Thursday, Route 1 and whatever accident reported two people transported to the police station for, you know, no injuries. So we know there was an accident that yeah. happened at that time mm-hmm. and, and that place. Uh, and it's there on the police log. And TMZ is calling up the Boston. Fuck, what the fuck does the Boston police have to do with this? You know, and, and, and all you have to do is look at the map. And, you know, once you leave Gillette Stadium, you're no longer in Foxborough no matter what direction you go into, because Foxborough is wicked tiny, and you either go to Walpole or you go to Attleboro hmm. or, you know, one of these other towns. So people think that, oh, you know, it's just Foxborough. No. Aaron Hernandez's murder wasn't in Foxborough. This crash wasn't in Foxborough. Nothing happens in Foxborough except the game because the city, the town is so tiny. Yeah. And, and people living in California working for TMZ or you know, whatever, they don't know that because they don't have a fucking clue. Well, I, you know, I get, again, the biggest thing to me is, and if people don't know what we're talking about, they, I'll, I'll remind them here. Darius Fleming, Patriots linebacker, uh, two days before the AFC divisional game against Kansas City, he pulled over on the side of the road and there was a car accident and what, he kicked a woman's window open in her car because her car was on fire and he had 22 stitches in his leg and he played in the game with the 22 stitches and he talked to reporters about it yesterday and then after they talked to him, TMZ was trying to uh, figure out what happened so they called police and they couldn't get anybody to acknowledge that it happened. So what happened then? They just assumed that it didn't happen. Not only did they assume that it didn't happen, but them and Ben Volan of the Boston Globe I, he, look, Ben had a had a nice little piece on Twitter in which he couldn't fit it all into 140 characters, so he had a little extension. I clicked the link and I read it all, and it all makes sense, and it's a good story, and, and it was it was a nice little piece he wrote up, and, and I acknowledge it, and I guess I give him a tip of the cap for that pe- little piece that he wrote, but at the same time, uh, he that he's kind of full of shit because I still feel like he wanted... Deep down inside, he wanted this story to not be true. And, and so did TMZ. And I felt like if you were going after it like that, the way that they were and those two parties were, I feel like the only way you do such a thing is if deep down inside, you want you want something else to happen. You want that story to not be true. You want well, as, the Darius Fleming to be lying. That's what, you, that's I mean, what they wanted. Well, as a journalist, you always want a great story. So I can, you know, because like I said, I've been there. Um... You know, I don't want to bore anybody with my resume. You can find it online. But, you know, at the same time, um, you're right. And see, this is what happens when when journalists are guided by facts. They just report the facts. When the journalists are guided by an agenda, 
they let the agenda distort their view of the facts that they have. Mm-hmm. Now, my, my mistake with, with what Ben did, and if I was his boss, I would say what, what, what your mistake was that were you sort of live tweeting the journalism process? Hey, you mentioned a story. I, I'm working on a big piece about, about Milt Schmidt. And I took a picture of him and let people know he's doing okay. I mean, there was some news value to that. But I'm not going to tweet out every step of the process of me writing this story. I'm going to present the story whenever my editors and I are done with it. And the problem, what he did was when he cited that TMZ tweet, whether he did it with malice or unintentionally or with, you know, it came off. It offered the perception that, you know, he, 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 that tweet was interpreted by the audience as him saying, holy shit, TMZ is right. And, and that was the problem. And, you know, I'm not going to – I read his apology. I thought it was awesome. I retweeted it. Mm-hmm. And, again, this is not a personal issue with him. I respect and love his boss. Um, and I'm sure that whatever issues his boss has with this, his boss is going to deal with him, and, and that's as far as it goes as far as I'm concerned. It's not my place. But the problem was that he was sort of – in the moment, doing his job and letting his readers, you know, in on it. And he shouldn't have done that. He should not have presented information on his Twitter feed until he knew it was complete. You know, he said, I'm having the same problems as TMZ. Well, that's that's not really a complete statement of fact. That's a process thing. And I think that's what burned his ass. And I think he realizes that. Um, and he, he tweeted it, and that's great. But... Um, you know, that's what journalists, writers have to be wary of is is not letting that what you want. You know, I'm sure as a journalist, hell, if I had that story and I knew it was false, I'd write the hell out of it, too. But just because you want that to happen, you can't let that be evident in your work until it's mm-hmm. true. You know, I want Tom Brady to win on Sunday, but I'm not going to say Tom Brady won on Sunday until he wins. Mm-hmm. And that was the issue there. And, you know, again, to his credit, he recognized that and he did what he had to do to correct it. Um, and it didn't take 365 days. Um, so that's good. And, you know, I, I think reporters are subject to a higher level of transparency because of what they do. And I certainly have, you know, nothing to hide when I'm working. Um, when I write, when I was writing for Boston.com or when I write for Bleach Report or anybody else. I put my name on the story. I put my Twitter handle on the story. My cell phone number's all over the internet. I'm the easiest guy in the world to find. So I, I think that as a reporter, you owe it to your audience to be transparent. But you don't necessarily have to give a play-by-play of the process. No. Because the process wasn't complete when he posted that. Yep. Jumped the gun and, again, comes off as if it was something that he wanted to happen. That he, he wanted that they, the parties that were tweeting that, they wanted the Darius Fleming story well, exactly. to, be, to be false. And, and that may not be true, but if readers have that perception, then that's a problem. Well, that's my perception. That, that's, because what, as, well, that's what I get alone, out of it. And, and as a journalist, you know, all you have is your credibility and reputation. I mean, if people believe what you're saying and what you're doing, then, you know, you're doing your job. But if, 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 you, if your audience is suspect over, over what you're doing, then, you know, that's a big problem. And unfortunately, um, in his case, I don't think he helped himself yesterday. And given what he does, you know, he's going to have to, you know, work twice as hard and be twice as diligent in the future. Um, but again, I'm not, I would never, ever 
want I don't want anybody to fucking lose their job. Oh, no, I know no no, I never said that, Bill. I mean nobody's no, no, saying no, that. No, I'm just, you didn't say I'm just, it. Others, you know, some folks out there and, you know need to get a grip no, on I, fucking reality. Listen, I mentioned Volan because obviously he was involved and with with the TMZ stuff and but it really all just comes back to that headline that I read at the top of ESPN.com yeah. yep. where that's totally. how that's how the national media portrays it, and yet I'm looking at it going, well, when are they going to have the top headline be Peyton Manning, you know, HGH sent to Peyton Manning's house? That's a report. Like, when, when is that going to be there? It all comes back to that stuff and, and the way we now view people of you and the Patriots and, and things that happen with the Patriots uh, compared to everything else in the National Football League, every other player, every other team, and it's just a, a complete difference, and it's just so drastically different the way things are reported with the Patriots than any other team that uh, it's mind-boggling to me. But let's... Well, like, you know, like they say, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean you're wrong. And I think there's enough evidence... Um, I mean, again, you can go back to um, just in, in the last calendar year with the Flategate, of course, the aforementioned 11 of 12, then the inconsistencies in the investigation, the inconsistencies in how, re- remember, um, you know, parts of the Wells report were leaked before it was complete, but at the same time, the NFL says, well, we can't release PSIs because there's an ongoing investigation. Mm-hmm. But they managed to release the part of the Wells report early that talked about Brady smashing his cell phone. What a coincidence. How that got leaked out, but not the other stuff. And then you move on to the stories about the warm Gatorade and then the issues with the headphones. Well, the headphones are run by the NFL, but that gets kind of buried. Then you go on, you know, again, I, I can't get past the 80 unnamed sources. I mean, to me, that's just fucking mind-blowing. Um, and and then what was cited in Sports Illustrated at the same time. And then you have a similar – this is similar because Roger Goodell said that um, PSI and screwing with the balls affected the integrity of the game as much as PED. So Roger Goodell is the one who equated what Peyton Manning has been accused of with what Tom Brady has been accused of. That was Roger Goodell who made that comparison. He's the one who set the standard there. you know. And, and that should in and of itself give legitimate – media people or media people that aren't, you know, corporate hacks up the NFL's ass with reason to pursue that story just based on that premise alone. But again, Manning is a corporate guy. He's doing ads for, for big time corporate sponsors of the telecast. The network is, you know, getting a lot of money from these companies. The network is giving a lot of money to the NFL. So, and Jim Nance, you know, at least admitted that he has the same agent as, as, as Peyton Manning in terms of like Chris Russo has the same age as Peyton Manning. It's like, who the fuck doesn't have it? Does everybody yeah. have the same age as Peyton Manning? So, you I know, don't, it's like, I, don't, I mean, no. it's, it's a cabal, for lack of a better term, um, you know, and, and it's a, a group of like-minded people with the same interest in, at stake, a lot of money at stake, and they just don't want to bring it up. You know, they're, they're much better suited from an economic standpoint, if this story is ignored, Peyton Manning wins, obviously, because, you know, Tom Brady is not, I mean, Tom Brady is, you know, the, the millionaire with the millionaire supermodel wife, but he's like the outsider. I mean, he is like the renegade. You know, he's a renegade to the NFL. Well, you know you what? Know, even listen, though he's fucking married to Giselle and hey, has a billion dollars in the bank. But, Bill, that, I mean, look, that's he's benefit. He, that benefits him because they have this whole revenge card going, and I believe that's a real thing inside that Patriots locker room. Oh, and, I agree a thousand percent. And, and I think, you know, they're going to take the field. Now, the one thing they can't say is that they're underdogs because they're actually three, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the yes. road against the one seed yes. against the, one of the top defenses in football. So they can't. 
tell themselves that they're underdogs, but they can do some things behind the scene, and all they really need to do is look at the Deflategate stuff and keep going back to that and say nobody wants us to win this year, and they could say the last time we played in Denver in Week 12, they gave us these ridiculous penalties late in the game, yep. especially the Patrick Chung penalty. Bill, that I'll ne- that's, that's the worst call I've ever seen in the history of football because if you watch that, Osweiler is literally being taken down before Chung even makes the contact. It doesn't even it, – it had no – it was not even part of the play. It would have been a third and long. It would have changed the game completely. Instead, the officials changed the game, and they threw the flag, and they gave the Broncos new life. I mean, it was ridiculous, but the Patriots, they'll use something like that. They'll find a way uh, to basically come into this game. Look, they're motivated to go to the Super Bowl anyways, and I don't think the Broncos are going to win. I think the only way the Patriots lose this game is if they turn the football over. The only way they lose is if they turn it over and they give Peyton Manning good field position because the one well, thing the one thing we saw against you know the Denver Pittsburgh game last week is that Peyton he doesn't have the 70 80 yard drive in him he might have a couple 50 60 yard drives he doesn't have the long 70 80 90 yard drive where he can bring it all the way downfield they can't do that so but if you're setting them up in good field position you might be spotting them an extra three points that could be the difference of the game but I don't think that's going to happen I think I, I trust Belichick to come up with a defensive game plan to give Peyton Manning the happy feet he'll turn the ball over and the Patriots won't and the Patriots will go to the Super Bowl. How are you feeling about this game? And uh, what do you think is going to happen if the Patriots, if they shock me, and I think probably you, if they lose this game, how? why would they lose it? Well, I think you're right. I mean, the last game in Denver, they lost it because of the muff punt. Um, you know, that just, if of all the plays that happened this season, give me that punt back, and they probably win two more games. So, yeah, it's obvious it's it's turnovers. I mean, that's what's going to kill them. They didn't turn the ball over on sun- Saturday, and, you know, they won the game by a touchdown. I know the Chiefs scored late. It was garbage. Mm-hmm. But turnovers, to me, is the is the one, you know, fatal flaw that, you know, especially, um, you know, if, if it's deep, like the punt um, or Brady throwing an interception, you know, in the red zone or something like that, I – you know, obviously that can happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it has happened this year. That's what concerns me as a Patriots fan as why, how can they lose this game? Turning the ball over to me is probably the, the one, the biggest thing that, that could damage them. I don't see Peyton Manning having kind of a, you know, Paul Pierce, Willis Reed moment where he, you know, performs above and beyond what you expect because I'm sure he was trying his ass off on Sunday and you saw that he couldn't throw the ball. Um, you know, obviously, in, in addition to turnovers, I think if Denver is able to run the ball, um, I'm not sure how they're going to do that with Peyton Manning because you just go man and you put eight guys in the box. Um, but if for whatever reason Osweiler comes in and he can spread and stretch the field, that might be a problem for them too. But, you know, I, I think the Patriots, um, on the other hand, um, you know, unless they take Gronk out at the knees, which they've sort of said they're going to do, um, assuming everybody stays healthy and Gronk doesn't, you know, get his ACL ripped out, um, it's going to be hard for Denver to stop them. And, you know, the other thing, too, that you got to remember is the Patriots haven't been able to run the ball in like seven weeks. Mm. You know, they've been trying to run the ball, trying to run the ball, uh, but they've been trying to run the ball without Julian Edelman in the offense. And I'm going to be really interesting to see on on Sunday if they try at least earlier to get the running game going um, and how Denver's defense has to deal with that, you know, when they're assuming that it's going to be quick outs to Edelman and, 
an Amendola and maybe a deep shot to Grog now and then. So so that's kind of what I'm looking for. But, I, I yeah, I mean, I know it's cliche, but I don't see any other way that Denver scores a lot of points in this game hmm. unless they get turnovers in the Patriots' end, unless they muff punts or that, you know. I mean, God, I just I can't get over the muff punt. I mean, to me, that was the whole fucking season. On the downside. Yeah, but you know that that, that, that muff punt it was it was huge. It, it definitely was a momentum swing, you know, me- momentum change in that game. But still, I the officials even late. I mean, the Patriots had a chance oh, yeah, to still yeah. win the game. No, you're right. You're right. And, and the officials just it was like they handed the game to the Broncos. I, I couldn't believe it. And I'm not one that gets into the officiating or blames umpires for uh, you know in baseball for the strike zone. I don't I don't get into that stuff. For the officials changed the game, but that game. I mean, it was just evident. The end. I mean, they called penalties that should have never been called. Yeah. And and it really did cost the Patriots the game. And those other moments certainly hurt. But they still, even after those moments, they still had a chance to win. So, um, I wrote a column in the Boston Metro. And when I look at how to stop Peyton Manning, I, I've created, I created a word a couple of years ago, Bill. And the word is disguising. And I, I it, it's a combination it. of two words because over the years I've watched how to get to Peyton Manning and you basically, and I go back to even what Mike Tomlin said last weekend. He said, Peyton is the ultimate play caller. And even the biggest Peyton Manning haters out there have to acknowledge that this guy can change a game. He changed that week 17 game against San Diego by coming in, reading the defense and doing something as simple as checking to the run or changing the side of the run and reading a blitz and basically read the coverage and change the play. He can do that, and Mike Tomlin is right. Because of that, before the snap, Peyton Manning is the ultimate play caller. So as I've watched him over the years, I've created a word as to how you can get to Peyton Manning, how you make sure he has those happy feet and he's forcing a bad throw, throwing interceptions. It's called disguising. Combination of two words. Disguise the blitz and confuse Peyton at the line of scrimmage. Disguise and confusion. Disguising. That's what it is. That's my word to stop Peyton Manning. I don't know that Belichick's going to use it, but but no, when it happens, and Jamie Collins, Hightower, they're, they're using disguising, maybe a little uh, a blitz at one point. They set up Patrick Chung to come in and take down Peyton Manning, give him the happy feet. I want you to know that that's the strategy. Disguising. Works for me. Um, you know, if that's what he does, I mean, he can't throw the fucking ball, so he's got to do something else. Um, I hopefully the Patriots and, you know, I mean, I'm sure Ernie Adams has been working on this game plan for like fucking six months, especially once, you know, uh, so I I would imagine the Patriots are as prepared as anyone can be. And, you know, it's funny. We, we, everybody's been talking about the the Manning uh, Brady rivalry. Um, and of course, you know, the bird magic rivalry. And of course the biggest difference between Manning and Brady and magic and bird is that magic and bird played against each other at the same time during the game. Magic defended bird bird defended magic, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are never on the field at the same time, except Mm -hmm. at the end of the game to shake hands. So it's a completely different animal in terms of rivalry. Yeah. This is bill Belichick versus Peyton Manning. That's what this is. That's my point. Ernie Adams versus Peyton Manning. And, and, you know, that is the key. That's the real key is is the mind games that, you know, Manning is going to try to disguise and deceive, like you said. And Ernie Adams and Bill Belichick are going to try, and, and obviously Matt Patricia are going to try to to be one step ahead of him. 
you know, I think that's incumbent upon, um, you know, the defense with Hightower and whoever out there is quarterback in the, the defense in terms of not being caught off guard, staying in your lane, staying in coverage, staying, you know, not, not trying to overcommit to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I, I mean, you have to trust in the Patriots defense that they face the guy enough um, and, and they know how to handle it. Um, so, you know, that would, uh, that would be, that would be cool. Um, to see how they handle that. That's going to be an interesting, um, you know, that's going to be an interesting uh, look in terms of, of how they, you know, how they how they handle that. And that's pretty much going to be the whole game as far as, um, you know, their defense is concerned against Peyton Manning. My, my question is, if they're losing, if Denver's losing 17-3 in the third quarter, do they bring in Osweiler? No way. Or, or I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think they do. You I know, really don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say either way, but that's something, um, you know, that, that I would, you know, you wonder if you're Gary Kubiak. Boy, that, that's a tough question for a coach, you know, if your team's struggling with Peyton Manning. I suppose you can't lose if you say, hey, I kept Peyton Manning in it because it's Peyton Manning. Yeah. You know, if you're a coach, that's the safe play because, you know, you can say, you know, I went with this guy because he's the greatest and he didn't have it today and we'll live with that. You know, so I suppose there's a lot less risk of keeping him in there than taking him out. But um, I think the team's better with the other guy. I'll uh, I- I'll I'll tweet out in case for people who may might not read my column in the Metro. I'll I'll tweet out the spelling of disguise uh, because some <laughs> people got it wrong yesterday when they heard my podcast and I said it once again. I say it every year, and whenever Peyton Manning it comes time for a big game, it's di- it's disguise confusion. Disguise the blitz, confuse the defense. Disguisin. People need to learn how to spell it. They're putting an extra E at the end. Take away the E from disguise. And then I- I'll tweet it out early, later on, Bill. But uh, so you got the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And finally, who's your, who's your NFC champion? Who will the Patriots be playing in San Francisco? Well, I- I'm sure you hate when people say this. Um, uh, I picked the Patriots and Cardinals before the season you started did. to be the Super Bowl teams. But – it's at this moment, at this point, it's like impossible to to, to go against Carolina. Yeah, I agree. At home, I agree. I mean, I just don't see how that defense can slow down Cam Newton. Uh, I got my concerns on how the Patriots defense is going to slow down Cam Newton, but we don't have to worry about that for another couple of weeks. Um, but I just don't, you know, that thirty-one nothing lead at the halftime again at halftime against Seattle the other day was scary. I mean, that was kind of terrifying. Mm. Um, so I just don't see. And, and plus, the other thing too, you know, uh, Arizona did get a break on the starting time of the game. You know, it's a six thirty start, um, and they're heading east. You know, the Seattle got got kind of screwed because. Um, that was a one o'clock start and they were traveling east. So, you know, that was 10 in the morning for them. And you can see evidently they were still sleeping because they gave up 31 points in the first half. Um, and they had a lot of mistakes. So I think Arizona will, will certainly play better earlier because it's a three o'clock game as far as their body clocks are concerned. So, um, they're not going to be killed on the travel in time as much as Seattle was, but I just don't see how they, how they can contain Carolina's offense. You know, if I'm wrong, great. I'd love to see the Patriots play the Cardinals in the Super Bowl because I think Brady might actually put up 50 points in Super Bowl 50 if he's playing the Cardinals. It'll be hard for him to put up a lot of points on Carolina, but um, 
you know, I'm hoping the Cardinals win. I think it's a much better matchup for the Patriots because it's going to allow them to just light it up. And I, I mean, I think that's Brady's dream and all this revengeance tour. That's my word of the year, by the way. Revengeance. Um, <laughs> you know, and the revengeance tour, his dream is to go out there and just put up like seven touchdown passes and just blow whoever they're playing out the door. Um, and I think they can do that against Carolina. I don't think they can do it. I mean, against Arizona, I don't think they can do it against Carolina. Well, that's what we do here on the Danny Picard show. We make up words. That's what we, that's just what we do. So, uh, I'm glad you could be, I'm glad you could be a part of it today. I am thrilled. And you know what? I just looked at the clock. I didn't realize I kept it this long. That's also another thing that happens sometimes on this podcast, that when you don't go to commercial and nobody's in your ear telling you to go to commercial, sometimes you lose track of time. So uh, <laughs> uh, if you That's want right. do you want to mention your, your Milt Schmidt piece that you're working on, anything that you want to tease, well, tease I, right now, I, tell you us know, about? I'll just let folks know I had the honor of spending 30 minutes with Milt at his home in Westwood on Sunday. Uh, we sat down and we talked about a lot of different things. Um, as you might suspect, he is the world's biggest Bobby Orr fan for obvious reasons. So, um, you know, talk to, you know, here's the thing about Milt Schmidt that folks don't realize. Um, he is the oldest living NHL player. Most of you know that he turns 98 in March, but if you want to get an idea of this guy in some sort of broader historic context, uh, John F. Kennedy was born in October of 1917. The NHL began a few weeks, a few months after Kennedy was born Milt Schmidt was born in March of 1918. Ted Williams was born in August of 1918. So Milt is actually older than Ted Williams and is about the same age as the National Hockey League and late President mm-hmm. Kennedy. And he's still with us. So just you know, try to wrap your head around that historic perspective and context. Um, you know, different era, different century, but you, know, you have an iconic political figure, an iconic baseball figure, and the National Hockey League itself and this guy are all roughly the same age, and Milt is still with us. And that's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, so just from a personal and journalism perspective, to have the opportunity to sit down with him face-to-face um, was awesome. And we talked about a lot of things, and hopefully you know, we want to make this more than just a story about Milt Schmidt. We want to try to present a broad picture of how his life and career has paralleled out of the National Hockey League. Um, you know, he's, he's still pretty sharp mentally. He's had some physical issues of late. Um, you know, he obviously doesn't get around nearly as much or as well as he could or used to, but you're 97 fucking years old. Hmm. You know, it's awesome that he's still with us. Um, and he's definitely sharp and on point when he, you know, certain things he gets animated about. Um, and it was all, it was great. I mean, it was a thrill as a journalist and as a fan to, to sit down and just one-on-one with him and nobody else. Um, and that was pretty cool. All right. So hopefully, um, you know, when uh, when we get this thing together, and I will not be live tweeting the journalistic process, folks. <laughs> I do not do that. Um, but you know, as when it when it's up, I'll be more than happy to share it, and I hope it's worthwhile, and I hope folks get a chance to read it and hear his story because it's pretty awesome. His story is pretty freaking awesome. All right. Well, looking forward to that. It'll be on the Bleacher Report in a couple weeks. He is Bill Spiros. Follow him on Twitter. At Real OBF, Bill. Thanks a lot for joining me. Great stuff as always, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks, Danny. Anytime. All right, great stuff right there from Bill Spiros, the obnoxious Boston fan. 
And uh, I'm ready for some football. I'm ready for Sunday. We still have a couple days to go. Tomorrow, I'm trying to get Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. He's been in Denver all week covering the Broncos side of things. So uh, I'd like to get him on and maybe get some Broncos perspective before we wrap up the week and get to Sunday's AFC Championship game. And of course, tomorrow... Like I do every Friday, I'm going to give you my picks with the spread. Only two games, AFC and NFC Championship. Uh, And I know I sort of teased those picks yesterday with my AFC and NFC Championship preview, but officially games with the spread, my picks, 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 I'll give those tomorrow on Friday's podcast. And again, also trying to get Mike Giotti over the phone to get some Bronco perspective as he has been in Denver all week long. So uh, I will move on to some NHL and NBA stuff from last night and a couple big storylines. I'll begin with the NBA. There were 11 games last night. Here locally, the Celtics lost to Toronto, lost to the Raptors in Toronto. But... um. The, the biggest story is kind of an embarrassing moment for the NBA, and I've talked about this a couple times. The whole hack-a-shack, or last night, hack-a-drummond. We've seen this, you know, there's only a couple guys that they do it to, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Andre Drummond, Dwight Howard, to name a few. There's only a handful of players in the NBA that teams will do this to. The whole hack-a-drummond, hack-a-howard, hack-a-Jordan situation It was on full display last night to begin the second half of the Pistons-Rockets game in Houston. Now, let me set it up for you. Again, it's, it's an embarrassing moment for the NBA. The Detroit Pistons led the Houston Rockets in Houston. 56-47, to so Detroit led the game 56-47 to begin the second half. Detroit's inbound in the basketball down on the other end of the court to begin the second half, to begin the third quarter. And as every other player was down, set up on the other side of the court, K.J. McDaniels for the Houston Rockets, and again, let me tell you about K.J. McDaniels. He's played 15 games this season, his second year in the NBA. He averages 3.9 minutes a game. He does not play a lot. K.J. McDaniels, doesn't play at all. He's a garbage time guy. And last night he began the second half, and he began it by continuing to foul Andre Drummond away from the ball intentionally. He did so five times in a nine-second span to begin the second half. On the other end, Detroit would inbound the ball. K.J. McDaniels would go over and tap Andre Drummond. Little tap, foul. Detroit would inbound the ball again. K.J. McDaniels goes over to Andre Drummond right next to him, gives him a little tap, foul. He did that five times in nine seconds to get them in the penalty, which means the fifth time Andre Drummond went to the line to shoot free throws, okay? The Pistons didn't even bring the ball past half court to begin the second half, and K.J. McDaniels had fouled Andre Drummond five times, five times to send Drummond to the line. They did this. The Rockets did it. 12 straight times to begin the second half, and they ended up taking a lead. And really, they ended up taking a lead because Andre Drummond, last night in this game, he missed 23 free throws. 
He missed 23 free throws. He had more missed free throws than he had points in this game. Drummond played 23 minutes, finished the game with 17 points and 11 rebounds, and he missed 23 free throws. He hit 13 of 36 from the charity stripe. And (laughs) it was the way the half began was embarrassing. And it was the Hacker Drummond strategy on steroids. It was the, it was embarrassing for the league. It's embarrassing for the NBA. And uh, I watched the post game after on ESPN. This and, and and they were talking about how you know the the league shouldn't change the rule for just four or five players. They shouldn't change the way the game is played for just four or five players. And I I, I guess I can understand that logic. I can understand that logic. And actually, before I forget. Doris Burke, I know we knock ESPN a lot, but Doris Burke is the best. I mean, they should have her and John Butchagras and Scott Van Pelt. They should have them host every single show on the network. They should. They're the best. But, so Doris Burke was part of that NBA show last night, and it was awesome. She does a great job. And uh, they're talking about this situation, Hacker Drummond. And, you know, the analysts on the show... They go into describing why they feel the league shouldn't change the rule because you can't change the way the game is played for just four or five players who can't hit their free throws. And I understand this rule would go away if guys like Drummond, Howard, DeAndre Jordan could actually hit their free throws. It is embarrassing at the same time that it's embarrassing the way teams, you know, just follow these guys, send them to the line, and it's a boring way to start a half following the guy 12 straight times to begin the half to send him to the line. That's embarrassing, but it's also embarrassing that these guys can't hit their free throws. So I can understand the analyst logic on that when they say you can't change the rule because you can't change the game for just four or five guys who can't hit free throws. I understand that. But I'm not asking them to change the way the game is played. What I think you can do is, when it comes to off-the-ball fouls, following the guy away from the ball, Inside of the last, you know, the last two minutes of, what, each half, I think it is, the last two minutes of each half, and in overtime, you if, you, if you give an intentional foul away from the ball, that team gets to pick who they want to take the free throws, and that team who takes the free throws, they get possession of the ball. So, they don't want this happening in the final two minutes, but they shouldn't want it happening in the entire game. They should... And I'm not saying you need to give possession, but I'm saying for the entire game, what they should do is, when it comes to off-the-ball intentional fouls, the team that gets fouled, like, to begin the second half, if K.J. McDaniels is on the court and he wants to intentionally foul Andre Drummond, you know, to begin the half away from the ball as Detroit inbounds, Detroit should say, all right, you want to do that? We get to pick anybody on our team to shoot these free throws, right? Uh, Reggie Jackson gets to shoot these free throws. They should. They don't get the ball. Now, in, inside of two minutes, the final two minutes, all right, they get the ball. But the rest of the game, the team should be able to pick when it comes to off-the-ball fouls, intentional, away-from-the-ball fouls. This is how you eliminate the Hacker Drummond, Hacker Howard, Hacker Shaq, uh, you know, Hacker Jordan, this is how you do it. This is how you eliminate it. You allow the team 
to pick who they want to shoot those free throws. Now, it does, it won't work for, you know, if, if Drummond's going up with the ball under the basket, he gets fouled, they don't get to pick who gets to shoot those free throws. Drummond has to shoot those free throws. I'm talking about away from the ball fouls. You know, if if Detroit wants to give the ball, wants to inbound it to Drummond, which would never happen because he's not a point guard. If they want to inbound to it and you jump all over him and foul him, then you know, then Drummond shoots those free throws. But and and you're in the penalty. Drummond shoots those free throws. But away from the ball, I'm sorry. You they should be able to to pick anybody on their team to shoot, and that's how you eliminate it. And I don't think that's changed. I don't think that's changing the game. I don't think that's going to change the way the game's played. I think it'll make it better. I think it'll it will eliminate the situation that you saw last night, Detroit, Houston, to begin the second half. Yes, it's embarrassing that these guys can't hit their free throws. It's embarrassing that Andre Drummond missed 23 fucking free throws last night. It's embarrassing. But the fact that they are playing this game out with the strategy to slow it down, to make it boring, to bring in a kid who plays not even four minutes a game to give five straight fouls. It, it, what, you have to go watch. It's not like he's clotheslining Andre Drummond. He basically tells the ref, hey, I'm going to tap him in the stomach two times and then you're going to call that foul. He's not, even, he's not even really fouling him. He just sort of tells the ref and he taps him. It's stupid. It's embarrassing. They need to change it. Here's how they change it. Off the ball fouls, away from the ball, intentional fouls. The team who gets fouled gets to pick anybody on the team to shoot the free throws. They don't get possession until there's two minutes left in the half of the game or in overtime, but the rest of the game, the team still gets to pick who they who shoots the free throws. So, in that case, K.J. McDaniels would not foul Drummond because then the Pistons would send someone like Reggie Jackson to the line and it would be meaningless. It would be meaningless for Houston to foul Drummond in that spot. That's how you eliminate it. It's over. Gone. Is the game changed? No. It's changed for the better. So, that's what that was the scene last night in this game at the Toyota Center. And uh, I, I just, I'm, you have to watch the video. I'm telling you. You have to watch the video of this. It's, it's not like, it's not just fouls. All right, it's little taps, little taps in the arm, little taps in the stomach. It's embarrassing. But in that game, the Pistons end up winning anyways. Houston had the strategy. Pistons, they win 123-114. to A couple other things in the NBA last night. The 76ers won. 76ers won. That's good for the Celtics because the Celtics have the Brooklyn Nets pick. 76ers went into Orlando, beat Orlando. It's the sixth win that Philly has this year. They are now 6-38. and and guess what? Brooklyn lost. So you get a couple good things happening. Brooklyn, they are now 11-32. and 32. The Cavaliers go into Brooklyn. They beat Brooklyn. I told you this was a lock last night. Cavaliers coming off uh, a terrible game, getting whooped by Golden State. You knew they were going into Brooklyn to win this game. Cleveland wins it 91-78. So Brooklyn loses, and the 76ers win. 76ers have six wins. The Nets have 11 uh, we'll take what we can get because we have Brooklyn's first-round pick here in Boston. Uh, what else when it comes to that Nets pick? You can look down at the Lakers. We're also hoping that the Lakers win some games. They have nine wins. The Kings, the Sacramento Kings, went into L.A. last night and won 112-93. So the Lakers, they don't do their part. They lose. They have nine wins. So that's where we stand when we look at who potentially could be getting the best chance to get the number one pick in next year's draft. 
we are interested here in Boston because we have Brooklyn's pick. Uh, what else went on last night? The Wizards, they beat the Heat in D.C. The Knicks, another overtime game. Porzingis fouled out late, but the Knicks still won an OT. They beat the Jazz 118-111 at, Ma- at Madison Square Garden. I mentioned the Raptors beat the Celtics. The Warriors going to Chicago and beat the Bulls 125-94. to Steph Curry with 25 points, 7 rebounds there. Uh, Pistons beat the Rockets. The Thunder, they beat the Hornets in Oklahoma City, 109-95. And then the Mavericks, even without Dirk Nowitzki, Chandler Parsons, 30 points last night. The Mavericks at home, they beat the Timberwolves, 106-94. Timberwolves with only 13 wins. I don't know how much they're trying to win either. They have a young, exciting team. Can you imagine if they got their hands on Ben Simmons? Woo! I'm telling you, that's going to be a good Timberwolves team in a couple of years. And, and if they get another superstar player, watch out. But the Timberwolves, they lose in Dallas last night, even though the Mavericks did not have Dirk. I mentioned the Kings beat the Lakers. How about DeMarcus Cousins? 36 points, 16 rebounds. Just another night for Boogie Cousins. Just another night for the 25-year-old kid who his coach after the game called, what, the best center in the league? The best big man in the league? He's one of them. I would love to see him here in the on the Celtics. People say they don't want him because of his attitude. Well, what's his attitude? He hates losing? I mean, what else can you bring me? Right? You Because if you watch this kid play and you look at the numbers he puts up, he's just averaging 26 and 12 a game. No big deal last night, 36 and 16. No big deal. Just another night for DeMarcus Cousins. And then finally, the Hawks went into Portland and beat the Trailblazers 104 to 98. And in the National Hockey League, last night we only had three games. I hope you had the under on all three of these games. The Blues go into Detroit, beat the Red Wings 2-1. to The Sabres go into Colorado, but the Avalanche at home, uh, they get a late goal, and they beat Buffalo. Colorado wins 2-1 to in Colorado over the Sabres. The Ducks, they beat the Wild in Anaheim 3-1. to So those three games, I hope you took the under last night. There were 10 NHL games tonight, but the biggest NHL story is this Jonathan Druin story. Jonathan Druin, if you don't know him, 2013, first-round pick by the Tampa Bay Lightning, third overall. He's 20 years old, left winger, had a couple years in the queue before he got drafted, a couple hundred-point seasons in the queue. So he's a very good young player, but he just doesn't get the playing time in Tampa Bay. Now, I don't follow the Lightning every single day, but I'm pretty sure his lack of playing time He's only played 19 games this season with the Lightning in his second year. He played 70 games last year, had 32 points in 70 games, four goals, 28 assists. Uh, only played 19 this season so far, two goals, six assists, eight points. I believe he had some type of physical issue, but is ready to go and has been playing in the AHL in the minor leagues. But last night, Jonathan Druin, no show. He didn't show up to his minor league game, to his AHL game. And because of that, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have suspended Jonathan Druin indefinitely without pay. Indefinitely without pay. 
That is the story in Tampa Bay. And because of this situation, and I even think there was some trade stuff that was being talked about before we had this. I think, you know, the people following Tampa Bay and maybe following the Druin situation, I think they probably could see this this coming. But I, I guess the Lightning are really trying hard to move him. And, and last night, Jonathan Druin's agent, Alan Walsh, he, I believe it's his agent, right? Yes, his agent, Alan Walsh, released a statement on Jonathan Druin. And I'll read it for you. It says, quote, When the Tampa Bay Lightning assigned Jonathan Druin to Syracuse, it was explained that the purpose of the assignment was twofold. One, conditioning due to missed games from injury. And two, provide proof that he had completely recovered from his injury. Jonathan has now played seven games with Syracuse in the past 14 days. A few days ago, the Tampa Bay Lightning advised that a trade involving Jonathan was moving closer to completion. We propose to Tampa Bay that Jonathan not play in the next few AHL games, but continue practicing with the club to avoid any potential injury from preventing an imminent trade. Unfortunately, the Tampa Bay Lightning refused this reasonable request However, Jonathan was not willing to accept the risk. We have been advised that the Tampa Bay Lightning has suspended Jonathan. In light of the latest developments, it is clear, it is clearly in both sides' best interest that the Tampa Bay Lightning trade Jonathan as there is no reason for Jonathan to continue with the Tampa Bay Lightning organization in any capacity. We will have no further comment as we await the Tampa Bay Lightning to conclude a trade that involves Jonathan. End of the statement from Druin's agent, Alan Walsh. Strong words. But again, when you read that, you realize people who have been following this situation, this stuff shouldn't come as a surprise. Any trade talk now shouldn't come as a surprise. And it does seem like Druin wasn't getting playing time, wanted a trade. Obviously, when they were told there was a trade close, They said, well, we don't want to play in the minor leagues, so let's just practice with the team. We don't want to risk injury. We want to still play. Uh, But if you're not going to play with the team, let them practice. The team said, no, we're keeping them in the minors. They didn't like that. So basically they say, okay, if you're not going to trade us soon, then we're going to sit out. And, And at this point, it seems like Druin and his agent, this is a scheme. This is a plan to purposely not show up, obviously in order to demand a trade as soon as possible, if not immediately. And I would think that if you're Tampa Bay, you know, why play the stubborn role and keep him around? I mean, I know you want to get something for him, but, I mean, perhaps you should have thought about this because you, you, I'm sure you weren't just surprised by this turn of events. You know what's been going on. There's a reason why you weren't playing him. There's a reason why... Uh, you you talked about trading him previously and it told his camp that you were coming close to a trade. This is no surprise to you. You got to move him. And you might not have as much leverage right now, but I also think that's, that's, that's partly in fault to the way the organization maybe has handled it. People will knock Druin for this. I don't know that I'm gonna. I mean, this is a kid who was the third overall pick. He wants to play. And the Lightning weren't playing him. Or at least it just wasn't working out between the two sides. And if it wasn't working out between the two sides, and clearly each side is battling, why not just pot ways? Like, why, why keep this thing going? 
Why continue to have this drama? It just doesn't make sense. So I think they should trade him. And uh, I think they probably will. But I bring this up because back here in Boston, you look at the Bruins. And I do know this. Here's what I know. Around the time that Tyler Sagan was about to be traded, from people in the know, not on the Bruins camp, but on the closer to the Sagan side, had told me before Sagan was traded, but I can recall in the days leading up to that July 4th trade, that there was a thought Sagan, from Sagan's camp, there was a thought he could be going, he could have been going to Tampa Bay. In return, the Bruins were trying to get that number three overall pick because they wanted to tr- they wanted to draft Jonathan Druin. That was part of the Bruins' strategy. This again coming from from Sagan's side. That Sagan, at one point, leading up to that July July fourth there where he was traded and the, the big party he had right. <laughs> uh, the Sagan camp, they were told. Tampa Bay was a place he could be going because the Lightning could be giving up that number three overall pick to send to the Bruins, and the Bruins would draft Jonathan Druin. That's what the Bruins wanted. Now, that never happened. But I am told, and I was told at the time, before Sagan was drafted, that that was a very, very strong possibility of that trade going down Sagan going to Tampa, the Lightning sending the number three overall pick to the Bruins, and the Bruins drafting Druin. And I, I I know that that was Peter Shirelli at the time, and Shirelli's no longer with the Bruins. He's in Edmonton, but you still had Don Sweeney involved. You still had Cam Neely involved. And I don't know why that trade fell apart or why it didn't go through. I really don't. I don't know if Tampa Bay said we're not giving up the number three pick. I don't know if the Bruins said, well, we actually want some roster players. NHL players, so we'll take the the multiplayer deal. I I have no idea who backed out. But what I do know is there are still some people involved in the Bruins front office who are actually calling all the shots now that Shirelli's gone. They're here in Boston that were there and involved in those conversations when Peter Shirelli was here. According to my sources, close to the Sagan side, in talks to send Sagan to Tampa Bay in return for that number three overall pick in which the Bruins would be drafting Jonathan Druin, right? So um, it's something to keep an eye out for. That's all I'm going to say about that. I I expect Druin to be traded. Uh, I I think that Tampa Bay has lost a lot of leverage here. Obviously, you could blame that on the player for no showing, certainly, but, but you also need to blame some of it on the organization. I mean, you can't tell me that they didn't see any of this coming. You can't. You can't tell me that they thought this was all going to be perfect and uh, Druin was going to keep playing in the minors and he was going to be happy and he'd show up to work happy. You can't tell me you didn't see this coming. I think they saw it coming and I think they probably handled it poorly and they should have pulled the trigger on a trade a while ago and they didn't do it. And because they didn't do it then, they lost a lot of leverage in the process because now it doesn't look like Druin is walking back through those doors. He is sitting out. He's no show in the minor leagues. You could say it looks bad all he wants. He's 20 years old. He's the number three overall pick. Somebody's going to take him. Somebody's going to take him. And when he gets traded and he goes to that team, somebody's going to play him, and he's going to play. The kid wants to play. 
and he's not getting playing time in Tampa. They're not calling him up from the minor leagues, and uh, he's frustrated. Uh, you know, you can argue all you want that it's not the right decision to sit out and no show, but I mean, when he gets traded, he'll show up and he'll play. Players, I mean, I mean that's just the, that's just the way it works. You might not like the way it works, but that that's it. You got to accept it. And and the team, I think, if they wanted to get the the best bang for their buck, they should have made this move a while ago, because there's no way the Tampa Bay organization was surprised by this turn of events. There's no way they could have been surprised by this. There's no way they didn't see this coming. They saw it coming. And uh, they dropped the ball by not making the move sooner and maybe getting more for Druin than they certainly will now. Bruins play the Canucks tonight. They're saying David Krejci will return. I'll watch this game, and I will react to it on tomorrow's podcast. But also, I'll be trying to get uh, a football guest in here, and I'll try to get Mike Giotti in on the phone to give a Denver perspective. He's in Denver all week, and I will give my picks with the spread for the AFC and NFC championship game. Special thanks to Bill Spiros for joining me today over the phone, and uh, I'm here five days a week. You can get this show whenever you want, dannypicard.com. Also, subscribe on iTunes. Also, on the Stitcher app, presented by Beantown Athletics, the only Union screen printer in Boston. You can also come and get your skates shopping inside the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. The best skate shopping in New England. Give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Or visit their website, beantownathletics.com. Again, they're the only union screen printer. Doesn't mean you need to be a union to get something designed and put on a t-shirt, a hat, a sweatshirt, you name it. They can design it and they can do it right here at Beantown Athletics. Go to beantownathletics.com. I am out. Talk to you tomorrow.